Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can also be complicated and confusing. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and my goal with this podcast is to bring clarity to the marketing chaos for you. You'll learn inspiring yet practical ways to think about marketing differently so you can do marketing differently and get better results with less stress and more joy for you and your team. Motivation is for the mind and inspiration is for the heart. Marketing for good takes both. Welcome to a whole new way of thinking and doing marketing. Welcome to Marketing for Good. You know how sometimes you meet someone and their passion for what they do is so palpable and infectious. You just want to be in their midst to soak up that goodness. My guest today is like that. Brandy Strand is the Director of Community Relationships for Utah Nonprofits Association. And never have I ever met someone so passionate, so committed, so downright excited about figuring out how best to serve their people. In her case, her people are nonprofits in Utah, but there are lessons in this episode for organizations and companies of all shapes and sizes, especially in the way she and her team approach service and marketing. So much kindness, so much compassion, so much strategy, so much responsiveness, a resistance to reactiveness, all sorts of nesses. <laughs> Honestly, Brandy is such a joy bomb. It's worth listening just for that alone. I kid you not. I mean, we all need as much joy and delight, a keyword throughout this episode. I will foreshadow for you. I just, we need so much joy and delight these days, as much as we can get. So it's packed with that. But beyond that, there's so much to be learned about the mindsets she and her team have and the results that that yields, how they're thinking about service of their members, of the organizations they serve, the feedback loop that they're in with those people, both tactics and strategy around that. It's jam-packed. I'm not going to take up any more airtime. I want to I want to get you right on over there so that you can learn and enjoy hopefully as much as I did this conversation with Brandy Strand. Welcome to the show Brandy. I'm super happy to have you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we met while preparing for a virtual confab, which was the technical term, the confab for the National Council on Nonprofits, which you were instrumental in putting on this year. And I was immediately struck by two things, your positivity and your productivity. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Out of the gate. And then through that, we chatted a bit. So you work for the Utah Nonprofits Association. I do. And I was just struck by one, how open you were about, you know, the rethinking and rejiggering that your association has done in service to nonprofits in Utah. So I thought we could have a chat about that. And, you know, with the optimistic hope that other associations, whether or not they serve nonprofits or not, could parlay that into their, you know, both their acquisition and retention efforts and membership happiness and all of that. Okay, but first... I have to ask you how you landed on what I'm going to refer to as your life's passion mantra, which is in your bio, which is making our world a safe and happy one. Oh, wow. That is downright delightful. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's definitely how I live my life. So growing up, I grew up in a neighborhood. You know, I was born to a 16-year-old mom and raised by my grandma. I was the first person to ever go to college in my entire family, graduate from high school, like that whole shebang. And so growing up and coming out of what I consider to be generational poverty, I knew that I wanted to contribute to the world and help other people realize their own inner potential as well. And that's how I live my life. We should feel safe and confident in our world around us. And I feel like we can all contribute to that in some way. And the way that I do that is by being open and honest with those around me and being also open to ideas and changes and, you know, like you said, jigging it a bit. (laughs) I love that I've had, and I appreciate that I've now had the opportunity to reverse engineer, to experience you and then find out that that's what you refer to as your life's passion. We talk a lot on this show about you know, purpose, both personally and organizationally and mission value, mission value statement. So when I saw that, I've like gave it the stamp of your personal mantra, which may or may not <laughs> be the right word, but that is so true to who you are. And that is really wonderful. And thanks for sharing the background on it. Well, I've had a lot of incredible people who've stood beside me to help me to become the individual that I am today. And I feel that it's my responsibility to do the same to pay it back and pay it forward and help lift others up. So it's really how I live my entire life. I find that I seek out those who are very different from me because I thrive with people who are different than me. So I'm in a lot of situations where I have that opportunity to say, oh my gosh, you want to be a welder? (gasps) I know three programs that can help you do that. And I know a scholarship program as well. So I'm always trying to find that way to help people find their own inner passion and find their own empowerment. It's very important to me. We can all make this world a better place by investing in each other. Amen to that. And I can feel it. I'm sure listeners can hear it. And I just want to reinforce, I can feel it through Zoom, which is saying something since we're all a little Zoomified these days, but I can just feel how committed to that. (laughs) Yeah. So before you were at Utah Nonprofits Association, you were with the Girl Scouts. I was actually... So I put myself through college and I knew that I wanted to work for the Girl Scouts. I believe in the mission of that organization. In fact, Girl Scouts found me when I was very young and my grandma was raising me and we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So Girl Scouts has an outreach program and they found me and they taught me how to cook on an open fire, how to sew, how to camp, how to build structures out in the wilderness and I just knew that when I graduated, I wanted to be back with the Girl Scouts. And I spent six years in that incredible organization before I was like, ooh, I'm ready for a new challenge. What can we do? How can I make this world a better place, by golly? (laughs) And So that's so interesting. One, I I use the Girl Scouts as, as an example when I talk about features and benefits, which actually we'll talk about a little bit later. Because when you say, you know, what's the first thing or what do you want to be known for? What's the first thing that comes to mind? People always say, cookies. (laughs) <laughs> oh, but the Girl Scouts, right? So, I mean, I think a cookie might be one of the rare examples of being both a feature, the cookie, and the benefit, the yumminess of the cookie and how happy it makes you feel. But that's what comes to mind for folks. And that actually, then they're like, oh, but what, you know, what does that represent? And it's like self-empowerment and confidence and like the skill building. So my daughter sold cookies. She was part of Girl Scouts for a while. And then she became a dancer and that's, that's everything. So there are only so many hours in the day. (laughs) No other activities. 
but she loved it. And so I was a cookie mom for a year. That's a big job. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The cookies were plentiful. Luckily they were all like, you know, like kind of vacuum wrapped. So you, and you know, like they were for other people. So you couldn't get too naughty about the whole thing, but the skill building was so striking. It's amazing what our girls can learn by putting themselves out there to sell a cookie. We think cookies are delightful and yummy, but what the girls are learning is so much more than that. They're gaining confidence and courage, and they're learning that a no is okay. Ooh, I had never thought about that. I mean, one incredible skill set to have at a young age. Oh, Brandy, I'd never thought about like what a safe space that creates for hearing no and not having that be bad. Yeah. And just looking at it and saying, okay, that one said no, but I'm going to go get the next one and overcoming and pushing through. And that's really what that Girl Scout environment really creates and something that I, I once a Girl Scout, always Girl Scout. So yeah, as, as you can tell, I'm an advocate and always will be for the empowerment of our young women. Yes, me too. Although I'm not signing on to be a cookie mom again. It was too much for me. That's a big job. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah, you just, said you were a cookie mom, my heart went out, out to there you. listening. <laughs> like, don't, don't, do you want to be the cookie mom? Sure. I mean, that sounds fun when they say it like that. It's a big <laughs> job. Your garage gets filled with pallets of cookies. <laughs> okay. So you go from the Girl Scouts for which you like, there's such a deep, obvious mission connection. And one of the things, so I've worked with many different types of associations and, and I've been blessed to work with many nonprofit associations in particular and they're kind of like capacity builders. So there is a mission connection, but it's a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different beast. So how did you go from Girl Scouts to Utah Nonprofits Association? Well, I mean, Girl Scouts is a nonprofit and I've been in the nonprofit field for over 15 years. If you saw me, you wouldn't like recognize that. Nope. No, just for, for listeners, Brandy looks maybe early 20s. <gasps> Yay, I'm actually 38. So thank you so much. <laughs> <That's> so unfair. <laughs> okay, but just for the visual, I mean, I am I'm four only foot a- 10 and I weigh 95 pounds. <laughs> I haven't aged since the fifth grade. If that helps create any kind of visual for your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's so, so cool. Uh, when I came, when I went through college, I, I knew I wanted to work in the nonprofit sector because of the contributions that our nonprofits make to our local communities. We are mission and vision driven to make this world a better place. And each individual nonprofit has such a unique focus of an identified need that I knew that as I was learning and growing in Girl Scouts, and I knew I needed to challenge myself further. I knew I wanted to give back to the nonprofit community and the Utah Nonprofits Association. We've been around for 30 years. This is actually our 30th year of being an incorporated nonprofit. We're very happy about that. Does that make you one of the more like senior nonprofit associations? Oh, I would say we're very much an adolescent. (laughs) Yes, there are nonprofits here in particularly in Salt Lake City. There's one that's over a hundred years old. Girl Scouts is over a hundred years old. Sorry, I meant in the association of the Oh. That's a great question, Erica. I'm now I'm super curious to know what the other age of the associations are. Well, so when I was looking and I've been watching the Utah Nonprofits Association for years and I've attended trainings, I've gone to socials, and when 
the director of operations job opened up, I just went full bore. I was like, okay, I got to go for this. I got to put myself out there and I got to be a little bit courageous right now. And when I joined over a year ago, I started as the director of operations and soon realized that we needed to restructure my position to be more focused on our community because that's what drove me to UNA was the importance of helping our nonprofits be able to make the changes in the world that they see with sound foundational practices. That was something that was really important to me. So working with our leadership, we were able to restructure my position so that I'm much more focused on our nonprofits, our individuals, and our businesses. And that was something that happened just at the beginning of 2020. And well, 2020 has just gone exactly like we planned. Yeah. I mean, just textbook, really. Absolutely. It's exactly what I thought it would be. <laughs> yes. But in the transcript, I, mean, I feel like I'm going to have to put in a little like sarcasm oh. and start adding those things because of course we're kidding. So, okay. So you make the transition at the beginning of 2020 and then... COVID happens. A global pandemic changes our entire world. The first week when um, the pandemic was um, announced and everything started to really shut down and we saw the entire world shut down, our team really just tried to hone in on making sure the day-to-day -day stuff happened for our internal administration. It was probably within that first month that we sat down as a team. When I say sat down, we all got on Zoom. And we started to, you know, look at this going, we, our nonprofits need us, but what do they need? We can't just put a Band-Aid on it. This is a, a global pandemic, and we have the opportunity to help our nonprofits in unprecedented, the most challenging time possible. So as a team, we sat down and brought it together. Can we pause? Because you said something, and then you kept moving so quickly, but I think it's really quite profound for all organizations and all businesses. And what you said was, I know that they need us, but what do they need? Yeah. And I think oftentimes we conflate those two things and we sort of assume that if we are needed, what we are offering is what, in this case, nonprofits, but right. So how, I mean, I feel like that was such an insight or maybe it's an intuition on your part and that of your teams to say, we know we are needed sort of stand tall in that, which is beautiful, but like, what do they need? So just for listeners, I wanted to go back and, and, and call that out because I, it really is quite profound and rare. Well, when you think about it as a membership-based organization, our drive are our members. We're here to yep. serve our members and something that has always been very important to me and what I brought to the organization when I came was a value. What is the value? Why are people going to pay? Now, we have a pretty solid reputation here in, U in Utah, and we're very proud of that because we're, we follow through, we're consistent, we're trusted. But we also started to realize those questions that we were used to answering were not going to be the questions that were coming at us. And within three weeks of the pandemic, we were getting questions that were completely out of left field, that we were really challenge to ensure that we were supporting our nonprofits through. And so that's where we were saying, well, we're needed because people are asking us for things, but what do they need? Like we can't mm -hmm. just go on and do business as usual. 2020 is a different, a different year has yeah. different focuses. And that's where we started to do pretty subsequent surveys 
And we just started to survey every nonprofit that we could possibly get in contact with outside of our membership, just the whole board as far as we could possibly reach. So both your membership and so members and non-members. Yes. We wanted okay. to know what the full scope of potential need was. Within that first month, it was primarily revenue. It was so, yeah. so fearful of losing revenue and needing PPE. So that's where um, as a leadership organization or as a leadership team, we just started to ask people like, how do you get PPE? Where do we find PPE? Like our nonprofits have anywhere from three to six months of revenue that they can pull on, but that's going to run out. So we've got to get them the safety precautions that they need. And we need to start talking with funders. And that's where we just started was gaining, gathering data, because I think sometimes we're very quick to, to serve, especially in the nonprofit community. We yeah. just want to get in there, get that answer, get it fixed and moved on. But we needed to take a step back because we needed to create a sustainable path of support. And so what I'm hearing, if I, w- if I was to paraphrase that a little bit, it's that you didn't just react, you wanted to respond. Yes. I think that's a very adequate way to explain it, actually, is that I, I think that that is actually exactly the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what we did. <laughs> because, you know, we have 10, over 10,000 nonprofits in the state of Utah. They serve everything from our animals to children, to housing, to food, and everything in between. We can't possibly know what everyone needs. Right, right. So we've actually done two rounds of surveys um, to gather data, and then we've used that data in a multitude of ways to be able to support our members. And we're actually getting ready to do a third round, hopefully, to start to support through reopening. Yeah, so this... You know, I'm in Washington State, so our reopening looks different than than Utah's. So that's something interesting where I feel like we can learn from each other, given where different people are and reopening sort of that into the recovery phase of things, which has a different tail and trajectory in each state. And also realizing that not everyone is going to be ready for a full reopening plan. And so identifying in a broader landscape as much as possible where our nonprofits are. Are there many who are going to stay remote through the end of the year, which is looking like Utah Nonprofit Association will be staying remote through the remainder of the year? Yeah, okay. Um, All the way to those who are frontline and they are providing essential services every single day. And how do we get resources? So... You know, it's always trying to take a heart, like get your thumb on the heartbeat yeah. because it's an ever evolving situation right now. And that really needs to be respected and valued. Our members, our nonprofits in our state have varying lived experiences right now. And it is incumbent upon us to understand and respect where they're at. Doesn't mean we have to agree with all decisions. All we can do is provide the best information possible. Yes. Yeah, stay curious. Stay curious and compassionate. Yeah, absolutely. But that's super tough to do because you're also, you're also living it. You're in service and you're living it and having to make a bunch of operational choices and decisions. And, you know, for example, should we stay remote or are we going to come back together in person? So what did that mean? So you surveyed, and this is an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. So I just also want to say like, this wasn't a one time and then you shifted your programs and now you're like, yay, we're done. 
this is really sounds like an ongoing staying in touch with making sure you're getting and stay well staying in alignment with what the shifting needs are in a responsive i mean and let me just say the difference you know reaction means you oftentimes we do this on a personal level we react which you know is is your instantaneous response but it doesn't actually create any space between the thought and the action and so sometimes oftentimes that can like be a fear-based response and i think Kudos to you and the Utah Nonprofits Association for saying we're gonna we're gonna take the time to respond, which is comes from a much calmer, a different place in our brains, um, to to be able to do that and that response. So it's kind of like call and response. The survey is being the call and then the response on an ongoing basis. So you're constantly shifting. Has that had an influence on how you talk to and with the nonprofits you serve and about? both who you are as an organization, but also what you have to offer them. Absolutely. So our mantra is, what's the why? If you have an idea, let's talk about the why. The why for our nonprofits, the why's for our individuals, and the why's for our businesses. And if we can get a really solid why based off of data, based off of experience, then it's a viable idea. And what we have opened ourselves up to is the the fact, let's just acknowledge this, the fact that every idea is not going to go as exactly as planned, nor will every idea work. So we're leading in that space. We're trying to show that we're trying new things, just like all of our members and nonprofits across the state are. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And we own that. And then every time there's any type of failure, I'm always sharing it with our members. When they ask, how do you do you know, your e-learning? Then I'll tell them what we've experienced and how it's working and how we're engaging and how we're shifting the way we're communicating because of the feedback that we're getting or the lack of feedback. That's another thing. Yeah, like maybe yeah. your message just isn't breaking through the digital noise right now and you got to elevate it. So that's something that we're always looking at. Okay, only 5% clicked on that link. So that means that that message wasn't strong. It's not a detriment. It just means that we need to rethink how we're communicating because our members, our community needs us to break through that noise. So are you looking at like subject lines and the calls to action and all of that on everything that goes out? Yes. So... What we're looking at primarily right now is through our email communication channels. We do, we've been working more strategically on our social media as we all are, right? We're like, well, everyone's online. What we're looking at though is the subject line and then also that pre-prompt that you see in the email that's like the, and then you click on it, Mm -hmm. you got to read a little bit more. So we're tracking our open rates and our click-through rates. Those are our two biggest things. Also, with our calls to action, we're very protective of our calls to action. We will only use our calls to action when we can give a clear next step. Click here, contact this legislator. Click here to contact this person. So we're very particular about how we use our calls to action because our members, our nonprofits, only have so much capacity. Yeah, right. So during the pandemic, I think we've sent three, maybe four, for calls to action. So when you say calls to action, that sounds like it's primarily in the advocacy space. It is. Okay. So that's how you use that terminology. Because when when I was saying it, I meant, so if you sent out something about a webinar, the call to action might be the register, you know, register here or register now. Oh, or, 
Yeah. And marketing lingo speak, we call them all CTAs. We call them CTAs too, but it's all for advocacy. Okay. So <laughs> CTA, that's, that's fascinating. I know shared language <laughs> or not <laughs> or not. <laughs> so, so, so actually if we were to go with this, we, we, you could have CTAs in your CTAs. Oh my gosh. Let's peel that onion. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, do you have any specific examples of things that you have, you know, just instances where things clearly weren't working and then you tweaked them? Yes. So um, in our second round survey that we did, we asked specifically about things that our members need to learn about. And I ended up with three different topics based off of feedback from our members. We created a Learninar. A Learninar is a combination of a roundtable and a webinar. Because we can't come together physically, we now have Learninars. Learninars. Try saying that 10 times fast. I know, right? Learninars. I was told it's a portmandu. Oh. Learn a new word. Or a sniglet. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Or a sniglet. Now I got to Google that one. It means when you put two words together. It's like a portmandu. Ah, Got it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the, the information that we all hold in our I, brains. I will say for my part, often useless information that we hold in our brains. But yes, <laughs> it's, a, it's a different, different basket of stuff, isn't it? Okay. So you see, so you have learninars going on. We have learninars. The first learninar, we partnered with one of our members and it didn't go as well. The content wasn't delivered very well. The learning format online. We learned it needed to be a little bit more prepped. Second, Learninar we held with another member. We learned that we can't just give over the mic because they're also very busy human beings, so they can't always keep track of all the details. By the third Learninar, we found that an interview style was much more appreciated by our members. Uh. So it's like how we deliver the content is something that we're learning especially with our online learning platform. I mean, we're all learning how to stay engaged online right now. Yeah, we really are. How, how do people respond to the term learning art? They love it. I end up in conversations, which is a lot of times what I'm looking for, especially with our staff. It's through our conversations that we're building our relationships more and more. So when you throw out learning art, it just opens up the opportunity to talk. It's delightful. I was just doing some research on delight because we're kind of like light on delight in a lot of ways right now. And, and what it does, I was looking in for the lens of actually retention. So if you think about member retention or donor retention or customer clients, whatever, it releases happy chemicals in our brain when we're delighted. Ooh, it makes us feel special. And so that's a little bit why I was asking was the word is so funny, but it's kind of delightful. Um, and so unbeknownst to you, you probably release some happy chemicals in people's brains, which at least happy side effect. Happy side effects. Okay, so you had to learn the NARS and you learned how to deliver those over time in a format that was, but you still refer to them the same way. Yep, they're still learning ours. And every time we end a training moment like that, as staff, we stay online and we talk it through like what went well, what didn't like stick, where didn't we get any engagement? And then we come up with some plans and then we retry again. Mm-hmm. And then I share all of those learning moments with our members because they're in the same boat as us, learning how to deliver content 
in an engaging way online because we can't just take what we did in person and just be like, oh, now I do it on Zoom. No. That it's just that's not how our brains work, you know. No, they don't. So we're we're learning and we're sharing. That that's brave though. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you have a culture both that truly celebrates learning, which one might, you know, might be expected, but also there's something operationalized in or in the DNA of Utah Nonprofits Association that really allows for failure and a celebration of that. Well, and I think, I don't know about you, but I've learned some of my most powerful learning moments in life through failure. For sure. Yeah. Right. Like those are the moments where I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not doing that again. And we've taken that, we talk about it as a staff, and I feel like that's an important part of what we're doing right now, is that we're not just um, in a silo, we talk to each other, and because we're all talking with our members in different facets, so that we can come together and say, why would you pay for this? If you have very limited funds, why would you put four funds here? And if it doesn't have value, don't do it. Don't, Don't do it. But what I love about that is in my work with lots of different types of associations, there is this sort of thing where it's like, we should, we should know how to do it. And because you want to lead by example, because you're the association, there's a little bit of a reticence, a little bit of a, um, I mean, like a, yeah, a reticence of, of pulling in. And when something doesn't go well, maybe internally learning about it for sure. But that externalization of like, well, we learned that those two, you know, this format didn't work. And that's how we landed on this format, which is just uh, uh, quite unusual for an association. So kudos, kudos to you and the team for creating that, that type of culture. Cause I, I mean, we do, we all, and when, and when we talk about it, when we ask folks, it's like, yeah, of course I learned the most from my failures. I mean, the moments when you do great are great. That's not why they're great moments, but there's maybe, you know, a different type of learning to be had there. I would agree. And I also think that if we can't be honest with ourselves, how will we grow and be more than we are today? How will we contribute and be a part of something greater than ourselves if we're not willing to take a step back and go, this isn't about me. This is about our members. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm here is to help. And I also want to say that we're experts in a lot of stuff. We're not experts in everything. And when we start to put that hat on, I think we do ourselves a disservice to find those experts in the field because we all have our different skill sets. We all bring different powerful things to the table. And if we can't acknowledge that we're not experts in everything, then our network and our community doesn't benefit from those who are experts in things that we're not. Right. And it doesn't, they don't benefit as much. And also it sort of gives this impression that like all of us should be expert in everything, which is not feasible. and. It would be exhausting. Oh my gosh. And it's not, and it's inefficient, right? It's also quite inefficient. What's the saying? Jack of all trades, master of none. Yes. Good one. Jack or Jill or whatever. Okay. So you're an association. And I think when folks hear association, they think benefits regardless of type of association. So I want to talk a little bit about our brains and benefits. And a lot of this stuff comes actually from consumer psychology. Um, which is kind of handy. So, right, we have the logical left brain and let's let's call it the dreamy or aspirational right brain. So as this relates to member benefits, your left brain is about value and your right brain is about wish fulfillment. It's called wish fulfillment. 
So one of the things I see with associations of all types is that they don't necessarily differentiate between types of benefits. So they sort of like lump them all together. But there are different types of benefits. So there are hard benefits, which are quantifiable rewards. So we can think of discounts or a gift card or a rebate check or something like that. And then there are what's referred to as soft benefits, which are more emotional rewards like, you know, special privileges, exclusive access, you know, VIP access, things like that. You know, so, so you want to get a mix of these things because you want to be delighting, let's say with that word, both the left and the right brain. And then, and then just to make things even spicier in our mix, you also, the brain wants instant gratification, okay, but also delayed gratification, okay? So when you first become a member, what you want, you know, that changes over time. So what you want a year from now, two years from now may change, and especially right now when things are just like, whoa, changing all the time. So we have all these things, uh, which is a lot to balance. I just want to say, if anybody's listening and you're somebody who has to think about benefits, it's a lot. Let's acknowledge that. And But there isn't like a right mix. There is, like all things in marketing, a mix that will appeal more or less to your target audience. Okay. So that's just a little bit of our, of our brains on benefits. So I figured, because a lot of this comes from consumer psychology and consumer marketing, that like if, an, if there was one association that would really have this down, it would be the Society for Consumer Marketing, because they study this stuff. <laughs> Seems reasonable. So <laughs> it seemed reasonable to me. So I went to look at their mix, and I'm just going to read it, and then we can sort of see if how we feel about it. So annual membership dues are $75, 30 for students. Here's what that includes. Subscription to the Journal of Consumer Psychology with online access, online access to the communicator, which is the society's newsletter, and mailings notifying you of conference and special issues of journals. Oh, that's it. Which is fine. But what was interesting is if, like, if we put this lens of left brain, right brain, my, my right brain feels very sad. My left brain's like, okay, you know, I get a subscription, I get online access, and that's cool. The only, and, and then that, and that's all kind of instant gratification, presumably, because you either get it right away or you know exactly when it's going to come. The only nod to something that would happen down the road would be these special issues of journals. So I can't say that I was like overwhelmed with joy. You didn't have delight. <laughs> delight looking at that. I didn't have delight. I was undelighted. Not terrible. I, that was just really interesting, right? Because I'm like, these people do this for a living. Now, what I don't know, though, is who their members really, truly are. And if they're super left brain folks, this may work great for them. I, you know, we don't know that. So absent that. Okay. Now, if you wouldn't mind... I'd love to look at how Utah Nonprofits Association is presenting your benefits to see what your what the mix looks like. Would that be okay? Uh, absolutely. I will say it's a work in progress. Yes. Yes. Of course. Yes. Totally. I mean, that is to be expected, given what we have now learned about the, um, Utah Nonprofits Association, is that you're constantly, constantly uh, looking to improve. All right. So if I'm looking into the page of your benefits. It says you host online member benefit orientations. This is the first point to help everyone connect with the benefits of membership. So even before you pay for your membership, you get this benefit, which is finding out about the benefits. Absolutely. We host them monthly and anybody can come. And what's your conversion rate on those? 
So right now, I would say on an average monthly basis, I have anywhere from 10 to 15 participants of those. Eight to 10 of them are, are already members because we have new staff who will join oh, a nonprofit. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So then new member, like new staff can come into the member benefits so that they can access all the benefits. On average, I have anywhere from two, I would say two per month of non-members and they always become members. So that's a pretty effective high value. So far. Okay. All staff and board members of nonprofits who are members have access to UNA member benefits. Each person has their own login information and is encouraged to get involved in our many trainings and events. So that is something that is all about empowering everyone to be involved. Personalization. Uh, what we found on when I first joined UNA, we did a big, big membership survey to understand where things were at when I came in. And one of the things that we found was that not everybody in an organization knew that they were a member. It's not just an organization membership. It's for their whole staff and their volunteers. So that's something that we've really pushed is communicating that we want to know everyone you got. Yep. Love it. All right. And then nonprofit members can receive free human resources support for a limited time through Beehive Insurance. That one is a new benefit that we actually were able to incorporate with the pandemic. So our one of our really good partners, Beehive Insurance, offered that for our members as a part of their support during the pandemic for our nonprofit. So that's cool. So that's new for folks. Yes. Now we have a classic straight up discount benefit, say 20% on a Zoom annual subscription. That one's somewhat important right now. Yeah, somewhat. I mean, it's just like, I don't know how much, you know, I'm only on Zoom like once a week. <laughs> I wish. And now you have what about connections? Connect staff and board members to training grounded in best practices, including the your annual conference, UNA credential, and nonprofit day on the Hill. So that is about the individual empowerment of growing the professional skill set of your staff. That is a big piece. The credential is based at the organizational level, and that is something that is two days of intensive training that they can attend. And then they actually, they're taught by a subject matter expert for two days of training. And then they come back for a one-on-one -on -one consultation with that expert to say, this is what you said in the training, but this is what it looks like in our nonprofit. And then that expert helps to do that technical assistance right then and yeah. there to help them meet the best practices in a way that works for their nonprofit. Cool. I thought at first, so learning that I would change. So I was, I'm sort of categorizing as we go. And at first I thought, oh, it's about connections. So that would be a soft benefit. But this kind of fits into both categories because it is about connection. And yet there's the hard benefit of a credential if you choose to connect in that way. Correct. Yeah. Um, let's see. Gain access to best practices, guidance, and standards for your board of directors through the Standards of Ethics program. Yes. So that is something that can be downloaded and then used with your board. It is not something that we as UNA come in and say, you have to do it this way. We provide these tools and say, you are the board of directors of this nonprofit. Here is a tool to help with whatever you're feeling right now. When you have a question, your, the help desk is a call away and we will find whatever you need. So I'm, I'm wondering if that is received as a hard benefit or a soft benefit. I would sue. That's an interesting question, Erica. It's kind of tricky. Yeah. I didn't, I would say it's more of a soft 
because okay. it empowers and yeah. it's not a checks and balance. We're not training. We're providing a found a framework. Yep. Um, and then there's a the job board, which is hard benefit. Yes. And we've actually expanded our job board this year based off of our members feedback. And we now have volunteer positions that can be posted as well as openings on board of directors. Oh, that's nice. Direct from our members feedback and what they needed. Love it. All right. Now here's another classic discount, right? Which is that uh, members can purchase a full one-year membership to grantstation.com for $75. That's a good one because regular price is up to $6.99. Yes. Good gravy. And then I love this. So, so what's, what really stood out for me just from a messaging and language perspective is that this flows a little bit between like save 20% on Zoom and it goes in between. Then we end up here in times of uncertainty connection can be key to survival. UNA's nonprofit leaders group tightens your bond with other nonprofit leaders from all across Utah. Okay. This group mailing list just for nonprofit leaders provides a virtual space for you to connect, create, and collaborate. And I don't know how else to say it other than we wanted to create a safe space for our nonprofit leaders to be able to connect with each other. Where animal-based organizations, they have a collaboration they can pull together housing, yeah. food security. What is really complicated right now is the broader nonprofit sector. So like with PPP loans and the SBA, they needed a place to communicate with each other. So that's why, where that one came from specifically. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Uh, there's a resource library which has policies, procedures, guidelines on topics covering everything from cybersecurity to fundraising to executive leadership transitions and everything in between. So I'm reading these a little bit so that listeners can also hear. This becomes more narrative as you go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It becomes a little more narrative. It's more like a conversation. It's how every member benefit orientation is as well. Yes, I bet it is. Um, and then UNA advocates for nonprofits everywhere and promotes a strong nonprofit sector in Utah. That is definitely a soft. We very much are, we place ourselves in the position of being the advocate for the broader nonprofit sector. Whereas we may not focus on housing or food, we do focus on the needs of our nonprofits as a whole. And that's something that we work very intentionally and strategically about at both the federal and the state level. Yeah, yeah. Advocacy has become so much more front and center. And thank goodness associations and nonprofit associations around the country really got on that a few years ago because the sector is benefiting from that work, from that momentum, from that commitment to doing advocacy, which has had this very complicated relationship for nonprofits who, you know, it's like, that's lobbying. It's not lobbying. And even if it were, you can do some of that. Exactly. So I, you know, huge gratitude to you and all the others across the country who have been like putting in the time in advance because it is paying dividends now. I mean, I really think that the PPP loans and all the other tight, you know, the CARES Act advocacy and that the, the mechanisms, the procedures, the systems and the commitment to advocacy, also the confidence around advocacy was all in place. I, I really wonder not in a good way. <laughs> what would have happened if that, if that groundwork hadn't been laid? So that's a huge one. All right. So if we get back to this like mixed thing, what I noted was that there were eight benefits that would, that would fall into the category of hard benefits and five that were in soft benefits. So that seems like a pretty good mix. Yeah, actually. I was thinking you were going to go way more on the hard benefits. And I was like, oh, wait, that seems a little bit more balanced. 
I want to, I want to be transparent and I have like, you know, it's not a highly scientific system. I have, I put an H and an S and then I put little hash marks by each one as we went. <laughs> so, and it'd be, but it'd be interesting to, to, again, you know, it doesn't matter what I think it's how your members receive these things. Now, if we really had resources, what we would do is some MRI stuff to see which parts of the brain light up and you know, then we would have some hard data to support it. But knowing how much feedback you get, I'm sure you can do it without a, without that. And also this idea of time horizon, um, which, you know, the, the research around our brains and benefits would say that you want this mix of instant gratification and out there gratification. I'm curious what your experience is being. Mine is definitely the people are like, I need it all now. We are low on Maslow's hierarchy right now. <laughs> so, so my needs are down here and they are, they are about safety. You know, they're not up here necessarily in self-actualization where, where we would like to be. And, that, and that, that actually has direct implications for how you're communicating with your members. Yes. And at that same time, we also maximized an opportunity. So we're all online and we're doing our trainings through Zoom. We're recording them. We now have an entire library of every training we've hosted since the beginning of the pandemic as on-demand trainings. Ah. And those have been made available to our members. And that's something that um, we felt like just because you weren't prepared for the content when we provided it, our members can still access all that same exact content. And it's all through their member central portal. That's both practical and compassionate. I don't know about you, but I can't be in every Zoom meeting. (laughs) Well, I can't be in every Zoom meeting. And like, it's what I need to know today or what I want to know today, depending on the day is it just changes day by day. And I'm, you know, I'm in so much communication with so many folks who work for nonprofits and that feels amplified. So I think to create this opportunity where you could say, maybe not today and that's okay. That's okay. Because it's going to be here for whenever, whenever it's going to work for you, it's going to be here um, is really compassionate and responsive two needs, ever shifting needs. Okay. You have touched on some of these things, but I like to ask every single guest the same final question, which is about inspiration and motivation. And I I think I talked a little bit about these at the, at the confab, but inspiration is about breathing in and breath and the motivation is about action. So we need both, we need both inspiration and motivation to kind of keep going. So I'm curious what inspires you and what keeps you motivated to do this work. Oh, wow. I am inspired on a daily basis by the passion and drive of the individuals working in nonprofits. They find and identify and then just go at issues to make this world a better place. And I am humbled on a daily basis by the contributions that they are working to make in our world. And I am motivated to get them every possible bit of information that they need when they need it. And I genuinely believe that Utah Nonprofits Association is in that same boat where we see the impact. We hear the impact. We hear the stories. We hear the struggles. We hear the barriers. And then we hear the wins. I would love to hear more wins. And I think we're going to get there. And I'm motivated every day. Every day I turn on my computer and I think, how can I help someone today? How can I help? Get them that template of a policy that they're struggling finding on cybersecurity, that template of a policy on how to manage social media, how to work with their board, how to help them feel empowered and courageous to do what they know they need to do in the world. 
it is not my job or the Utah Nonprofits Association to tell anyone what change they need to make. It's our job to help support people and to support our communities. And that is something that I am very much motivated to do, whether here or in my personal life. I just feel like we can all make this world a better place if we just respect what others are trying to do to make the world a better place. I don't know if that is an entire circle there, but... It doesn't need to be. (laughs) It doesn't need to be. And whatever it was, Brandy, it was incredible. Your passion shines through so strongly and nonprofits are on the front lines right now. They are doing so much of the hard work and hearing your love for them in Utah. And I'm going to expand that to the sector because you happen to be in Utah. I happen to be in Washington, but it's happening absolutely everywhere. And I was just interviewing somebody from Canada yesterday, everywhere. This is the case. So thank you so much for staying a small, but so mighty force for making this world a better place. You, Thank you that, so that, much. That, little, that thing that you just said about every day I turn on my computer and I think, how can I help somebody? That'll stay with me for a long time for sure. So, And thank you for making time. You're, you work for a nonprofit and you're super duper busy right now and you carved out time to be here with me and with listeners. So just thank you so much for the work you're doing for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And my final plug is please, as, as your listeners are out in their communities, if you find a nonprofit that you believe in, help ask them, what do they need? Yeah. Our nonprofits are incredible organizations and they're doing really good work, but they need us all. They really do. So thank you so much for this opportunity, Erica. Wonderful final plug. All right, listeners do good, be well, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to klaxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at klaxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening, and thanks for making our world a better place.